Education. I want to speak, the word that I want to speak today um, is, on, is on building according to the pattern. So building an unstoppable church according to the pattern of Scripture. And this is specifically, we talked about multiplying in identity. Now we want to talk about multiplying in our gifting. A couple of uh, years ago, the staff and I had the opportunity to tour Joe Gibbs Racing Facility. They're about 30 or 40 minutes down the road from our broadcast location in Concord there in Huntersville. And I grew up around auto mechanics. My granddad was an auto mechanic. My dad loved to rebuild cars. My uh, neighbor that lived two doors down had a garage. And so I remember spending sat- Saturday mornings uh, just in the garage and, and different things. And there was, all, like, there was grease and oil everywhere, as you would expect. Not in Joe Gibbs' facility. It's like a five-star restaurant, y'all. You walk in there, and I'm telling you, the precision, the precision that the, they build these machines with is amazing. Down to the millimeter on the tires, they don't paint the outside of the cars because that adds four pounds to the cars, and so they wrap them. They don't paint them, and the engines, these 358 cubic square, uh, cubic square feet of, of V8 horsepower engine, and so how many of you know that the guy that is assembling the engine engine for the Joe Gibbs race team, he's got a blueprint, right? He's got a, he's got a blueprint. And as long as he builds the engine according to that blueprint, he will get the results that the blueprint desires. He does not have the choice whether to just arbitrarily say, you know, I'm not, fe- I'm not feeling all eight cylinders. He does not have the same the same, he does not have the same ability to put that engine together like you do with those shelves from Ikea. <laughs> Ikea, Ikea is a Swiss word. It means hell. <laughs> and so when you get those shelves and you and your spouse try to put those together, which may be the single, single greatest premarital, uh, 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 premarital counseling exercise that anybody can, go, that, that can do. Listen, if you have put shelves together with your spouse and survived that moment, there is no demon of hell that can tear apart your marriage. I'm just, I'm just telling you, you're, you're good. <laughs> but you open up that box and you look at the directions and you shrug your shoulders And you toss them away and you build those shelves the way you want to build those shelves. (laughs) You end up with extra screws and extra bolts, but you don't get to do it with a a race car engine. You don't get to do that because lives are at stake. And can I tell you that we don't get to build the church. We don't get to build the church of Jesus Christ any way that we want to build God's church because lives are at stake. It's too important. We can't build it according to my opinion, according to the pastor's opinion. We can't build it according to our emotions of what we're feeling that Sunday. There is a blueprint. There is a template. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I want to build that kind of church. God says to Moses in Exodus, build everything according to the pattern that I show you on the mountain. There are heavenly realities that if we build things according to those heavenly realities, that we will get the earthly result of those heavenly realities. And the choice is ours. If we build according to the pattern of scripture, then we'll get what God says. This is true in, in, in Noah. If Noah had not have built the ark according to the pattern that God showed him every detail. Every 
every detail. If he hadn't have built the ark according to the pattern that God showed him on the mountain, it would not have floated. If Moses hadn't have built the tabernacle according to the pattern that God showed him on the mountain, they would not have experienced the fullness of the glory of God. And if we don't build the church according to the pattern that God shows us in scripture, we will not get the fullness of the earthly results. We will not experience everything that God has for us. And so we've got to, this is an important moment, y'all. This is an important moment in the church across the globe. Hear me. This is an important moment. The church across the globe is rebuilding. After 18 months of pandemic and we're rebuilding. And so it's crucial how we rebuild. And if we're not careful, we will miss this moment. Very first sermon that I preached on March the 15th, the day the world shut down in 2020, was entitled something like this, Don't Waste a Crisis. Don't Waste a Crisis. And so we've got to use this moment to evaluate, and we've got to look back over the past 50 years of how was the church built in the United States of America. I know I'm messing up the note takers, so I started out with page two, but I'm going to go back to page one. So let's look at three ways in which the church has been built. This is just the way churches have been built in, in, in the Western world in the last three years. Number one, the church could be built as a cruise ship. As a cruise ship, this is where the church exists to provide programs and entertainment. Y'all, there's nothing wrong with a cruise. I'm not mad at a cruise. How many of you been on a cruise? A cruise is fine, but do you understand you can't live on that cruise? If you live, if you take something that was meant for a week and turn it into a lifestyle, you become fat and lazy. And I wonder if in the last 50 years, churches that have built, been built on programs and, and entertainment have produced fat and lazy Christians. Well, then you say, well, the church is a battleship. What if the church is a battleship? This is where the church exists to loudly and dramatically take on a particular cause. And by the way, pastor, we pay you to fire the ammunition at the cause. And I want Sunday mornings, I want my preacher to yell at everybody that I'm mad at through the week. That's a battleship church. But what about this kind of church? What about an aircraft carrier? What about an aircraft carrier? What about where the church exists to equip disciples who make disciples? What about if every Sunday morning planes come in and land and we'll heal the hurting and we'll preach the good news and we'll, we'll worship together, but then we get together and we keep sending out and we take the battle to the enemy. J.D. Greer, an amazing pastor, and he was actually president of the Southern Baptist Convention for a while, says it like this, churches that want to prevail against the gates of hell must learn to see themselves as aircraft carriers. Members need to learn to share the gospel in the community without the help of their pastor and start ministries, Bible studies, even churches and places without them. Churches must become discipleship factories, sending agencies that equip their members to take the battle to the enemy. I want to build that kind of church. I want to build a victorious church and overcoming the gates of hell, victorious, bring it on devil because we're not going anywhere a city on the hill, light of the world overcome in church. How do we build that church? Well, Jesus tells us. 
There's two passages in the New Testament, and it's crucial. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, I want to build the church, and good luck. Like, he doesn't say that. He says, I want to build my church, and here's how you build the church. Two passages in the New Testament that are especially crucial. They give us the blueprints for building an unstoppable church. Ephesians chapter 2 and Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 2 says this. Together, we are his house built on the foundation. Do you see this? This is blueprint language. Together, we are his house built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself and in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So we are built on the cornerstone of Jesus always only Jesus one name under heaven by which all men are saved all ways lead to Jesus always don't lead to heaven but always need to lead to Jesus and through Jesus that's how people get to heaven so that's our cornerstone that's our foundation the apostles and prophets but that's not the whole building is it the bible says that's the foundation well you got to go to ephesians 4 for the whole building listen to this there is one body and one spirit just as you were called to one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in all how many of you think unity is important to the lord And then it says this in verse 7, but to each one of us. Go ahead and circle that phrase, highlight that phrase, star that phrase, each one of us. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some shepherds, and some teachers. For the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So basically, there's three things in that passage. There's the mox, there's the box, and there's the fox. And so the mox stands for ministry of Christ, the box stands for the body of Christ, and the fox stands for the fullness of Christ. Don't get mad at me, I'm not Xing out Christ, I'm just using X as the first, as the Greek letter, first uh, letter in the, the name of Christ. And so it just goes with the acronym a little better. And so we want the mocks. We want the fullness of the ministry of Christ. How many of you want the fullness of the ministry of Christ? And we want that not just present when Jesus wa- walked this earth. When he walked this earth, he went up to heaven and he said, okay, now y'all are in charge. That's scary, but that's what he said. He said, y'all are in charge. And so that is the fox. Jesus wants the fox of the mocks to be made manifest through the box. It sounds like a Dr. Seuss book, right? And so we want, we want the fox of the mocks to be manifest through the box. And so we have to understand if we're not receiving the fox of the mocks, is something wrong with the box? And if something is wrong with the box, then we got to build the box according to the fox that, it, that, it, that, that we got from the mocks. Does that make sense? We'll just move on. No? Okay. I'll break that down a little bit. Well, let's walk through this. Let's walk through this again. Not, not my opinion, the pattern according to scripture. So what is the mocks? What is the ministry of Christ? And this is straight from scripture, straight from scripture in verse 7b. So verse 7b says this, according to the measure of whose gift? 
It's Christ's gift, right? What was Christ's gift? Well, it says it goes on to lay that out. Christ was the perfect apostle. He was the perfect prophet. He was the perfect evangelist, the perfect shepherd, and the perfect teacher. So I'm going to use the acronym APES, okay? Apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic, shepherding, and teaching. Let me walk through this because, again, we want the fox of the mocks. So to have the fox of the mocks, we've got to understand the mocks before we put the mocks in the box to get to the fox. So the mocks is this, that Jesus Jesus was the perfect apostle. Was Jesus the perfect sent one? The Bible says what? And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is an apostle? An apostle just means ambassador. It means one who was sent. So Jesus is the perfect apostle who was sent on behalf of God to reconcile the world to him through the cross. Does that make sense? Jesus was the perfect apostle. Was Jesus the perfect prophet? Well, the scripture says all of the law and all of the prophets were what? Fulfilled. In who? In Christ. Jesus was not just a prophet. He was the fulfillment of all of the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Malachi and Zechariah and Zephaniah and Haggai. Jesus is the fulfillment. He embodies the perfect prophet. Was Jesus the perfect evangelist? Say yes. Jesus not only shared good news, he was the good news. He embodied the good news. Was Jesus the perfect shepherd? The words of Jesus about himself. He testified about about himself. I am the good shepherd. And was Jesus the perfect teacher? Jesus not only taught the word, but he was the word. Does this make sense? Jesus is our perfect apostle. He's our perfect prophet. He's our perfect evangelist. He's our perfect shepherd. And he's our perfect teacher. And now Jesus, the words of Paul, say that we want the fullness of all of that. I don't want to build a church running on two cylinders. I don't want to build, I don't want to build a church that's just running on half of that. And so the Bible says that ministry of Christ, we want to see the fullness of that. Write out a scripture in verse 13. So verse 13 in the book of Ephesians says, Till we all come to the unity of faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So when Jesus went to heaven, he did not want his ministry to decrease. He wanted his ministry to increase. When a pandemic hit the globe, Jesus doesn't want his church to become less. He wants it to become more. When we are, when the gates of hell are coming against the people of God, he doesn't want the people of God to shrink back. He wants us to rise up into our fullness. How does that take place? The key is the box. Because God already did this. And we know that God wants this. The only question mark is will we fulfill God's plans for us? Again, right out of scripture in verse 7a. So verse, verse 7a says this. It says, but to just the preacher. But to just the paid staff at Multiply Church. But to just my favorite preacher on television. No, it says what? You have to read scripture in context. You can't read verse 11 without verse 7. If you read scripture out of context, you can make the Bible say anything that you want it to say. 
Bible says Judas went and hanged himself. The Bible also says go and do likewise. The Bible also says what you're about to do, do quickly. If you put those three things together, you have something very different than what was intended by the original meaning of that scripture. Don't do any of that. You got to read scripture in context. Bring that, bring that back up again, guys. And he himself, so to each one of us, grace was given according to Christ's gift. What was Christ's gift? The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. Those gifts weren't for the first century, they're for today. Those gifts, watch this, according to scripture. Some of you, some of you this was against what you thought. But I want to show you this from scripture. Those gifts aren't for the platform, they're for the people. Can, can I show you how I used to think this verse was? I used to think that Jesus was saying, out of my entire church, the paid staff is the apest. So they're a, they're a slice of the pie. So they are the... The paid staff is the apostles and prophets and shepherds and teachers. But then we didn't really like using that word apostle and prophet because people abused that title. And by the way, apostle other than Jesus is never used as a title in the New Testament. You will not find the phrase the apostle Paul in the New Testament. What you will find is Paul, comma, an apostle. Apostle is a function. It's not a title. The prophetic is a function. It's not a title. If you meet somebody that says, hi, I'm prophet so-and-so, you say, God bless you and be well fed, and then you slip away. It's not a title, but it is a function. I want the fullness of the function. Titles get abused, but functions get used for the glory of God. So that's not the way this, that's not, we, we got to read, we got to read Paul for Paul. We got to read Ephesians. If this is, if some, if some means, if some is not talking about a slice of the pie, what Paul is saying is out of the entire church, Some have apostolic gifting. Out of the entire church, some have prophetic gifting. Out of the entire church, bring up that second. See, that's different. Out of the entire church, some have evangelistic. Some have shepherding. Some have teaching. Let me demystify this for you. And so if you introduce, pastor, should I introduce myself as the apostle Brian? I would not recommend that. But you can say, hi, I'm I'm Brian. I am, I'm an entrepreneur. I'm an innovator. Some of you, see, that's what the apostolic gifting is. Apostles declare the word of the Lord in order to take new territory. They're the entrepreneurs. They're the inventors. Some of you have an idea a minute and you say, where is that coming from? Drives your spouse crazy because you don't finish them. That's another story. That's my, that's my story. But you just have, you have ideas. You have ideas. All the time you're having ideas. That's apostolic in you. I call that out of you. Some of you have prophetic that is within you. You are having dreams in the night season that feel significant. The Lord's dropping into your words and you're like, what am I going to do with this? That's the prophetic rising up within you. Some of you during this past season, you're looking at injustices in the world. The Bible says that that is the prophetic that is rising up within you in order to step into injustice and you be the prophet. You be the light of the world. Do you see how this works? Now it's not the pastor's job on Sunday morning to be the prophet. It's to call out the prophetic in you and release you into the marketplace. 
You are an unstoppable, apostolic, prophetic, evangelistic. We got evangelists. Our top evangelists are not on this stage. They're sitting in our pews. Evangelists, how do you know if you're an evangelist? You're the storyteller. At Thanksgiving, you're the one telling the stories around the table. Evangelists are storytellers. They're gatherers. You're the, you're the person, people are over at your house all the time, watching football, play, hanging out, playing cards, whatever. Like evangelists are storytellers and you will begin to tell story, not just stories that draw people in. Do you see, do you see this? Some people are gifted storytellers, right? Everybody's got one in their family. Everybody's got one in their friend group. They tell stories that draw people in. That's the gift of the evangelist that is ultimately to be used to draw people into the story of Jesus. Entrepreneurs, innovators, seers, reformers, storytellers, gatherers, shepherds. Or shepherds, you're the caretakers. You're the healers. You're the one that, that during worship was looking around. Oh, we're so-and-so today. wonder if they're okay. Oh, I haven't seen this person in a while. That's the shepherding gifting. You step into situations. You bring peace to strife. You bring healing to division. We need some shepherds. We need some shepherds in our world. Our teachers, teachers, y'all want to learn everything, right? You love to read. You're always listening to podcasts. You're always gathering information. And then you want to share everything that you've read. Again, I'm sorry, spouses, but that's just the way, A, that it works. But all of these gifts are latent, are within the body of Christ. Let me give you a rapid fire. If you're like, ah, I kind of see this, Pastor, but I'm not sure. This isn't in your notes, but let me give you, a, let me give you five reasons why I believe that APEST is within the church. Number one, Paul is not writing the book of Ephesians to a pastor's conference. He's writing it to the entire church in Ephesus. Number two, Acts 1.8 and Acts 2.4. You know what Acts 1.8 and Acts 2.4 tell me? So Acts 1.8 and Acts 2.4 are about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence of what we call speaking in tongues. Well, from about 300 A.D. to 1900 A.D., you did not find that gift hardly at all in, in the church. Like, read all of church history. You really don't find it. You know what that tells me? That tells me that there are scriptures that become dormant, not because God wants them to become dormant, but because people don't step into the fullness of the gifting. In around 1900 at Azusa Street, there was the Azusa Street Revival. And from there, there are now 121 years later, there are now 523 million Pentecostal and charismatic believers around the globe. Why? Because a scripture that was overlooked for hundreds of years became alive in the body of Christ. Can I ask you this? What if Ephesians 4 is the new Acts 1-8? What if God is breathing life on Ephesians 4 now in this day and God says you can't be dependent as much on a building. You can't be dependent as much on a pastor. You got to be dependent on the gift that I put in you. See, this is a superhero moment. I told you you're a Jedi. I told you the force is strong in you. I'm calling you to rise up and join the resistance. We got to do this together as we go out into the marketplace your job your job is not a job it's your ministry it's your ministry those are not co-workers they're divine appointments they're people that God has placed in your life and so we're an aircraft carrier and we come together 
Pastor, are you saying that Sunday morning is not important? On the contrary, Sunday's more important than ever. Because when you're an aircraft carrier out there fighting battles all week, you need refueled. <laughs> you got to come in. You got to get the word. You got to get worship. And you got to get shoulder to shoulder. And, and then like Pastor Steve said in our tribes, you got to not just get shoulder to shoulder, but you got to get face to face. And then we go out as multipliers to be that city on a hill, to be the, the church that changes this world. Three more quick things. It's the difference between cessationism and Pentecostalism. So cessationism is a fancy theological word. It basically means this, that there were, it's the belief that there were certain gifts in scripture that were necessary for the launching of the church, but that we don't need them today. Like spiritual gifts, healings, miracles. Pentecostalism says, if it was in the Bible, I would like that to happen today. How many of you are in that camp? Like, if people got healed in the Bible, I want that today. If there are spiritual gifts, if there is power available in the book of Acts, are you kidding me? We don't need power today. We need more power than we've ever needed. We need more miracles. We need all the gifts we cannot afford. Listen, we cannot afford. The church of Jesus Christ around the world can no longer be centered on one or two popular preachers. I'm thankful for them. They're gifts to the body of Christ. But we cannot be centered on pastors and we cannot be centered on programs. We must be centered on an army of multipliers that comes into the house of God and gets filled up and sees the marketplace. Sir, the business that you started, you're an entrepreneur and that's your ministry. Use it for Jesus. That's the future of the church. Two more quick things. It wasn't until the third century in the writings of Clement of Alexandria that we find the distinction between, have you heard these terms, clergy and laity? Like the paid pastors and then the people, like there's some sort of, there's some sort. Now, is there a difference, parenthetical statement, is there a difference between those who have a call to full-time vocational ministry, i.e. the paid staff at Multiply Church? Yes, there is. We can walk through that at a different time. But the terms like clergy and laity, it was in the book of Acts, it was all God's people. The God of all, in all, through all, together, together we're a city on a hill, together we're the light of the world. And then the final thing, I won't walk through this, but I'll just give you a little bit of a homework assignment for the Bible nerds. Compare 1 Corinthians 12 to Ephesians chapter 4. It's fascinating. Compare 1 Corinthians 12 to Ephesians chapter 4. So 1 Corinthians 12 is the list of all the spiritual gifts, which is Pentecostal believers. We say, yes, we believe in all of those. There's basically three things in 1 Corinthians 12. God says there's one God, there's a lot of gifts, and everybody gets one. Guess what he says in Ephesians chapter 4? There's one God, there's a lot of gifts, and everyone gets one. Because we want to not be consumers. We want to be multipliers. I gave you all of that theological stuff. Now let me give you some Pixar. And some people are like, finally, tell a story, Pastor, because this, this is a lot. So if you've seen the movie Wally, I don't know if you've seen the movie Wally, but basically it's this picture of humanity as ultimate consumers, right? So like this is what happens when people don't get off the cruise ship. That's, that's you on carnival in like week 13. <laughs> so they get on this ship and they go up to outer space and basically they're just, they just sit in front of a screen. I know it's crazy. It's not, I mean, I can't imagine a world where this happens where people um, would just sit in front of a screen. It's crazy. It's weird. 
distant future. This must be written about like 3000 AD or something, some weird Jetson age thing. I don't know. But there, it's this picture of humanity as the ultimate consumer to where my life is limited to a screen and everything that I could ever want is brought to me. And like Pixar does, they tell stories so great and they make you laugh and they're like, that's you. <laughs> like, you know, they're like, there's a message behind the movie, right? Some of, some of it's good, some of it's not so good, but there's always a message behind the movie. But um, the writers wrote this as a little bit of a critique on American consumerism. And I say this looking inward at Doug and with a broken heart and not a boastful spirit. But I wonder in some ways if it's a little bit of a critique on the American church. I wonder if we have allowed moments of feeding and feasting on the word of God and the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit, which we need to become a lifestyle that we got addicted to and we forgot. See, here's what happened. The problem was that they forgot that they were just in space for a moment, but their mission, their mission was to go back and change earth. That's why we gather to get fed. But your mission, teacher, is your classroom. Your mission, high school student, your hallway your mission coach are those kids that gather and put on those gloves on a Saturday morning your mission welder is the people that you work with your mission single mom are those kids that you raise your mission is nurse it's those people that you care for your innovators your entrepreneurs your seers and reformers, your storytellers, your gatherers, your healers and caretakers, your learners and your guides. And I call that out of you. You're not consumers, you're multipliers. And you will use your gifting to change the world. With heads bowed and eyes closed. Can we just bring this all back to Jesus? Maybe you're in the house today and you say, Pastor, I get that, but I'm, but I'm hurting. Pastor, my greatest need right now, I, I need Jesus to be the apostle, and he is. Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, Jesus is the apostle, and he sent this message to you to remind you how much he loves you. If you're away from Jesus, Jesus is the prophet who's calling you back into covenant relationship with your father. If you're away from Jesus, Jesus is the evangelist right now who's sharing the good news of life in him with you. If you're away from Jesus, Jesus is the shepherd that wants to heal your broken heart. If you're away from Jesus, Jesus wants to teach you about a better way of life through him. And so if that's you, if you would say, Pastor, it's been a long time. I I, I prayed a prayer, but I'm not living for Jesus or Pastor. I've never invited Jesus into my heart. Right there at your seat, 
would you pray a prayer that says something like this? Say, dear Jesus, forgive me. I turn from my life as a consumer and I turn to the cross. I believe that you died for my sins. I believe that you rose again. I invite you to come into my heart and to come in my life so that I can live wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to my purpose in Jesus' name.